I'm not a murderer, but I want justice. Bobo was on Geonosis when his father died. He watched as I killed him. Windu will be back here with a fleet. Don't count on it. The Jedi don't carry grudges. Huh, that's definitely more praise than I ever get. Welcome to the Star Wars Brothers Podcast. I'm Cliff Boyd, and I'm here with Drew Shepard. Salutations. And John Boyd. Here. Y'all hear about the uh, the new deleted scene from The Rise of Skywalker that they just came out with? Mm-mm. No. Yeah, a lot of fans were really confused, you know, at the end where they kiss. Uh, but apparently, one of the times that Kylo Ren asked Ray to join him. She actually said she would, but only if he agreed to be her boyfriend. What? Do you know? Do you know what he said in response? Sorry, Ray. I've always been solo. (laughs) 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 That was a good setup there. I thought this was real for a moment. Who's next? Um, All right, I'll go. So, in the uh, in the original trilogy, uh, why did Boba Fett pretty much work alone? I don't know. It's because he was hunting Solo. Some cohesion between the jokes here, but John, yours yours very thematic, very thematic for the week. Appreciate and, it. <laughs> and not to outdo yours at all because it's oh, probably okay. worse. But um, my bounty hunter joke for the week is: What do you get if you mix a bounty hunter with a tropical fruit? A mango uh-huh. fet. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> You have outdone. You have outdone yourself. (laughs) Join us next week. (laughs) All right. We are talking about the arc uh, that we are calling Boba Fett's Revenge that the site we're using calls Boba Fett's Revenge. Interesting. Uh, I believe growing up, I always used to call him Boba Fett. Didn't we used to call him Boba Fett, John? Uh, Boba Fett? No. I think I, I, I think so. I called him Boba Fett. I remember doing it. <laughs> Maybe it was just me. I don't know. Did they ever say his name in the old movies? Boba Fett? Yes. They do. Yeah. Uh, Han Solo is, uh, is blind. And uh, Chewie's going, and he's saying, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, where's Boba Fett? (laughs) Got it. Okay. Okay. All right. So maybe I didn't, or maybe I was just an idiot. Who knows? No. No. Boba Boba makes me think think of Boba tea. Every time I say Boba Fett, I'm like, hmm, you'd be good. Get some bubble tea. Great. Boba Fett. That's fantastic. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be fun to open a Star Wars tea joint called Boba Fett. Be fun. That's my dream. After the podcast is over, maybe that's we can dream? go in on a. That's my dream. <laughs> yeah, I just started. <laughs> 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 just started dreaming it. 
<laughs> George Lucas right, walks in one day and does not approve of this business model. <laughs> Shut me down. Uh, all right. Three episodes. In the first episode, we have a young group of clones who boards a, do they call it a freighter? I think basically it's, it's a star destroyer. It's a star destroyer before I think they started calling them star destroyers, or maybe they do call them star destroyers here. I don't know. But among the young clone cadets that are going in to basically get some on, on site training as I suppose they're, they're like five at this point. I don't know. We can talk about their age and try to figure that out, but. Boba Fett is among them and he is there because he is trying to get an opportunity to kill Mace Windu for killing his father at the end of episode two. No. Yeah. Yeah. Attack of the clones, the movie, but he fails. Uh, one of the clones sets off the bomb that he sets for Mace and so instead, he, he through his little headpiece, gets a message that, okay, well, you need to blow up the ship if you want to kill him. So he's like, I don't want to blow up the ship, but he ends up blowing up the ship. And he jumps into an escape pod with the rest of the young clones after he's done with that, going back undercover. Jettison's out and ends up sort of floating out, floating out in space for a while. And so all the little clones are wondering what's going to happen. He actually redirects the escape pod away from its trajectory so that they can't be found. But then he messages his allies who are fellow bounty hunters actually, and they come and pick him up. So at the beginning of the next episode, Anakin and Mace go to investigate the ship that he blew up and that crashed on the planet below. And they actually set off a trap. They find Jango Fett's helmet there. Anakin picks it up before Mace can stop him. And it blows up and basically causes parts of the ship to come crashing down on them. But they cannot remove with the force because now the ship is unstable, unstable. And basically anything they try to do, they run the risk of just collapsing everything around them. So Anakin sends R2-D2 off to go and get a message, go back to the ship and get a message to their Republic allies to send help. But while he is on his way, he runs into the bounty hunter crew. And so he goes all home alone on them and starts preventing them from getting to the Jedi's by tossing various things at them as they try to climb up passageways. And, and uh, eventually he d is able to distract them away from the, the Jedi and he flies off and jumps in Mace Windu's ship. So they think it's Mace and they chase him away, uh, but he gets away, ends up going and getting help sees Ahsoka with a bunch of other folks and they come back and save the two Jedi. They're injured. And so they go to rest on the ship while in this next episode, Plo Koon and Ahsoka join forces to track down some of the hostages from that ship that the bounty hunters have taken. They end up tracking them to Hondo's planet. I don't know if it's Hondo's main base or what, but in, anyway, the bounty hunters end up uh, knowing Hondo, and so Hondo decides that he's not going to help them, but that he's going to stay neutral. But at the end of it, Aura ends up getting away, sort of. She, she starts to get away, but she's flying away in Slave 1, and then they 
shoot slave one down and it crashes. But the two of the others, Boba Fett and Bosk, he's also with him. He's the, the dinosaur, anthropomorphic dinosaur man that is from, I think he's from Empire, right? Anyway, Bosk is there. And he, he and Boba Fett get captured by the Jedi at the end of it. So they're brought up into, they're brought into uh, uh, captivity. What do you call it? They're, they're prisoners of war. <laughs> they're not really separatists. So anyway, they just get captured at the end of it. We learn a lot about Boba Fett here and sort of what happens to him following the battle of Genosis, the first battle of Genosis. And uh, he's obviously very out for revenge. What do you guys think? So I wish I didn't know the name of this arc was Boba Fett's Revenge. Oh, okay. Um, because I immediately knew that the, the clone that was good at everything and had a little bit of an attitude was going to be Boba Fett. Uh, so I kind of wish that was a mystery right at first. I think we would have figured it out fairly quick, but because uh, I do think they did a good job with his animation. I think he looked uh, a lot like the, the kid that played Boba Fett in the prequels. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of disappointing to me. I, I, I wish I had not known that information prior to watching this. I'm not sure what the name of that episode is. Does the name of the episode give it away or is it just the arc? I don't remember because the arcs are just made up names by this website. So mm. we can uh, write the website creators and tell them how disappointed we are in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. The first one is death trap. Then R2 come home and then lethal take or lethal track down. Okay. So no, it wouldn't have given it away. Just the episode titles no. themselves wouldn't have given it away. No, I it had a hard time. I had a hard time remembering exactly what Boba Fett had against Mace at first, but figured it out soon enough you know by the end of the episode it's like oh he chopped his head off in front of his son so, yeah. son quote unquote so Boba Fett is a clone of Jango Fett but he's a clone that didn't get all of the upgrades and genetic manipulation that the other clones got right he was a clone that basically happened before all of the processing took place and outshines all of the other clone cadets so at the beginning they're all competing not competing, but the, the yeah. Jedi on the ship are, are basically giving an, um, an opportunity to sort of skeet shoot with, uh, with the ship's guns. And the other clones are not very good at it. But Boba Fett, just one shot, doesn't miss. And I actually really like that establishment of his character. But yeah. I think what it, what it reveals is, is the difference between him and the rest of those clones. And, and I was thinking about those differences. So one... Maybe the most obvious, he has been trained by his dad, by Jango Fett, right? He's gotten firsthand training with this great warrior uh, who was selected to be the template for all of the clones because of his, you know, I don't know if it's just genetic purity or just his talent as a warrior or whatever. I forget exactly what the reason he made Gabriel, if they gave reasoning, but he's obviously pretty special because he's the, he's the base genetic material for the entire army. But this clone has been trained directly by him under his under you know, his very close attention and care. And so that is where he gets his talent from. I think it's what we're supposed to, what, what we're supposed to assume. But the other thing is that he, because he has not endured all of the genetic manipulation that the other clones have, he probably ages at a normal rate, meaning that he is probably double the age of all of these little kids. Now that means he's normal age, which what would you say is about 12? Yeah, so I looked. Uh, I actually looked it up. Um, yeah, okay. In 
in Attack of the Clones, uh, he was 10. And so by Revenge of the Sith, he should have been 13. So uh, 12 would be just about spot on. 11 or 12 or something like that. Yeah. Okay. And I looked it up on um on the wikipedia and it said that the the cl- other clone cadets were supposedly six years old yeah that's what i was gonna uh, say is they got to be half the age so uh i didn't look it up but that is that is a interesting confirmation these are just six-year-olds <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and i kept thinking about that like these kids are are not even as little as they look like they're 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 babies basically i mean they're toddlers practically I guess six years old is first grade. That's not a toddler, past toddler age, but, um, but still, you know, just, just really, really little kids here. And there were and other that, things oh, yeah, that, that, you know, he had the mindset of certainly who's someone more mature and more um, experienced with that training you're talking about from his uh, father, not only with the, you know, the astro mech shoot him in the sky, no one else can hit him, but he can, but also just the way he's able to deceive people, you know, with acting all right. innocent and lying right on the spot, coming up with a, you know, coming up with a lie right there. Um, and the way he was able to disable their escape pod. Um, that was, you know, just two seconds, but I don't figure them knowing how to disable their escape pods is a routine thing to, uh, to learn in an academy. Um, sure maybe how to fix it, but to disable it mid flight is probably not a normal thing. So his experience and who he is definitely plays a role in this episode. Yeah. Something else from this episode. Yeah, go ahead. He also had help. So the, uh, the other bounty hunters that he was communicating with and then later met up with, uh, you know, he called them a couple of times to be like, Hey, what do I do now? Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that probably gave him some, some confidence as well, knowing he had that backup. Yeah. And we'll talk about them, but before we leave this episode, we don't, we get inter- we see them at the end of this episode, but we don't really get introduced to them and get to know them very well until the following episode, you know, except that they basically, you do see that they're manipulating him a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's got a little bit of a moral fortitude. He wants to kill Mace for killing his father, but he doesn't just want to kill whoever, right? And yet the people that he is with are much more ruthless than him. That said, the admiral on the ship, did y'all catch his accent? Was he Scottish? Was that? He, he had the same accent that the lemurs had. He's from the lemur planet. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, the, the ringtail lemurs, they, they don't take in many outsiders, so he must have been very special for them to take him in. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I'm thinking that they were they were on one area of the planet, and maybe he's from a different, like a city on another part of the planet. That's what I'm thinking. You know, his, his facial hair. Because on a planet, face- you know, everybody's going to have the exact same accent. Oh, I know where you're going, John. <laughs> Go his, his facial hair was very similar to to the shape of those lemurs' heads as well. Okay, so culturally, there's some similarities as well. So maybe maybe he was raised by them. Okay. Kind of like, a, like a like a Star Wars Jungle Books type situation. <laughs> <laughs> Raised by the lemurs. <laughs> Ringtail lemurs. Ringtail lemurs. We don't take kindly to outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So let's talk about these bounty hunters. What y'all think about the bounty hunter? We'll, we'll go one by one. We start out with Aura. I think it's her name. She was sort of the one who got most of the attention besides Boba Fett in this episode. Uh, did y'all like her? Did you dislike her? Notice anything in, interesting about her? Um, like I said, she's pretty ruthless, I thought, and she seems to have her own agenda. And I, I wonder what her agenda actually is. Uh, whether it's just to bring down the, I mean, to bring down the Republic, that's more Sith stuff. So, I, you know, is she um, in more tightly with the Sith than we are maybe led to believe? Or, uh, you know, what what's her motivation here? So that was something I was really left wondering. But she's definitely ruthless the way she uh, kills comrades. She, and even the pirates thought, you know, Hondo was like, oh, she's a little too much for me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple meanings, maybe, but you got the picture. So, yeah, we did find out in the third episode there that that her and Hondo have some history, right? That they've got uh, they've had some romantic flings in the past. Yeah, I uh, I liked her. I thought she was a, a good character for. I mean, she looks evil. Yeah, uh, she is evil. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking about you, know, you John this episode as we were watching because you really didn't like some of the bounty hunter portrayals in the other episode. This is yeah. more of your like classic star Wars bounty hunter, right? Ruthless. Everything's for money. I think that's her motivation. Drew. I, I don't know what it is, but I got the impression that all these bounty hunters are really in it for the cash here. But, um, and she talks about that a lot. Like, Oh, well, these prisoners will help us to pull in a lot more money and that sort of thing. But anyway, I didn't, sorry. didn't mean to cut you off, John. No, you're good. That's uh, that's exactly right. It's it's more the feel of a bounty hunter, uh, these bounty hunters that that I would expect um, from my my prior knowledge of bounty hunters and and what I've seen from the movies. So, um, and then I'll, I'll tell you, kind of funny. This is uh, I was watching uh, this episode, and uh, you know, Jessica, my wife, uh, has has not been watching with me. But she happened to be in the room working on something. Uh, and, you know, she thinks I'm just watching this, this kid's show about Star Wars, which I am. But yeah. uh, beside the point, um, uh, she, like, tunes in, right, as, like, the weird kiss between her and, the, uh, and Hondo is happening. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, seriously? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but uh, aside from that, it was... Uh, um, even the the whole area that that we saw with the uh, um, where all that was taking place uh, just seemed very bounty bounty hunter esque to me. Uh, it, it seemed like where I would expect to see bounty hunters more than than what we've seen in the past. Sure. Yeah, this this kid show that has um, sexual many sexual undertones, extreme violence, <laughs> slavery. All right. Uh, torture <laughs> torture you know yeah. what a kid show <laughs> right uh we all have wives that uh, are not into this show <laughs> yes <laughs> at all <laughs> uh shauna like didn't even I, I actually was talking to her about it like maybe you want to try to watch this with me i had no chance no chance uh, did not even consider it for a second. So. Now, Bosk is very clear that he is in it for the money too. Oh, actually, before we leave Aura, 
one thing I noticed about her right toward the end when she kind of gets into fight mode, you know, we don't really see her fight very much until the very, very end. And when she is fighting with, uh, I guess it's with Ahsoka and Plo Koon probably, and maybe some of the clones. I don't remember exactly who was involved in that confrontation at the very end. But during that, she pulls out double pistols and does some pretty cool moves with her double pistols. Gave me some, you know, Lara Croft vibes. Mm-hmm. So I uh, really liked that aspect of her character as well. That, you know, watch out. Because her gun, when her guns come out, she means business. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that's the only character I've seen that has a an organic character that has a built-in comm link antenna into her head. I missed that. She has a built-in antenna in her head? Yeah, Ahsoka cut it off at one point. Oh. Yeah, because that's how she was communicating, and then after she cut it, she couldn't get in touch with okay. the other bounty hunter that, in my mind, I just called Lizard Man. So. All right. I'm going all cyberpunk yeah. in this episode then, huh? She's got kind of a cyberpunk vibe. I didn't realize the built-in antenna. I didn't notice it. All right, let's talk about Bosk. I was pretty excited when I saw him at the end of that first episode because he's he and what's her name again? Aura are the two that come in to pick Boba Fett up from the little escape pod. And Bosk is one of the bounty hunters that is it. What, what is he used for? Does Darth Vader hire him to do something they're, in Empire? Yeah, they're uh, they're trying to uh, basically catch uh, Luke and his friends. Um, okay. And Boba Fett ends up being successful with Carbonite. Right. But well, with but not Vader, so with, uh, he wasn't it wasn't yeah, by himself. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's but true. but Bosk is one that is deployed along with IG eighty eight and some others. Right. IG eighty eight's the cool. droid. I don't think we really see much action from IG-88 here either. Really, the most action I remember ever seeing from IG-88 was uh, in Shadows of the Empire. Boss fight. Yeah. IG-88 is one of the boss fights in that Nintendo 64 game. So. But, yeah, well, and then there's I another bounty hunter. I much about IG-88. There's another one in that lineup that I know has been in, uh, in some of the Star Wars games uh, that has like a uh, white cloth across his head. Um, okay. lineup of IG-88 Bosk and uh, Boba Fett. Got it. Yeah. And I don't know, there may be others there as well, but it was a little crowd of bounty hunters and Bosk was among them. And Bosk is one of those weird animalized George Lucas designs, I think. You know, you see a lot of those, like I th- thought about like the cantina scene where you've got Wolfman and Flyman and some other weird weird looking alien creatures. I think some of which they actually cover up in the special edition. Cause they're like, this doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> we made it bad. I think Wolfman maybe, is it Wolfman? Who's like not in the special edition of the show or something or Flyman? I forget which, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, basically dinosaur man. And I really like him. I think Bosk is a cool design. <laughs> I don't know if we'll learn about his race or not, but I think that'd be pretty cool. We're learning about a lot more than, than I thought we would Yeah, uh, in the Clone Wars cartoon backgrounds of different people and cultures and planets and, and things. And so, and so maybe at, at some point we'll figure out some information about Bosk. He didn't do much, but his appearance there alone was pretty cool. I thought. And he played the, he played the part well of 
I didn't sign up for all of this. We were supposed to do a job. It was not supposed to go into all these other uh, rabbit holes, uh, which we're now doing. So, I mean, he definitely played a role in letting the, you know, the viewer know that, Hey, this was not all supposed to happen like this. Sure. I think he was always up for it though. He was always like, you know, I'm still in, I'm good. (laughs) It was the other guy. The other guy's name was Castus. Castus was the fourth in their little crew. And I I don't know. I thought his design was kind of, he kind of looked like an ogre, a little bit uninspired. I thought, but he was, I didn't think he was very interesting, but he chickened out at some point and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, okay. I, I take my, what you were thinking my, yeah, of? I'm sorry. I was thinking of Castus oh, okay. for a second. I was already on him. Yeah. 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 Bosk was, Bosk was, Bosk was kind of in it the whole time, I think, but was sort of along, th- along for the ride, ready for the, ready for the profit, ready for the payout yeah. at the end of the day. He did his job and then didn't have a lot of input on it, but he was there. So, I don't know. We didn't really learn much about him other than that his appearance was cool. Really liked, uh, well, I didn't like Castus. I didn't like Castus at all, really. I thought he was just a dumb-looking, generic fantasy creature. And it looked like he had a, a bruised eye the whole time. <laughs> right. I was glad when he died. I was like, good. I didn't want to see any more of Castus. Uh, I thought it was really cool whenever Slave One made its cameo as well. I was thinking about different cameos from the other movies we did get a lot of slave one i don't know whose ship is slave one in this i guess it was aura's ship at this point wasn't it or was it boba fett's ship i don't really know because Django used slave one so it must have been yeah. boba's technically because he inherited it from his dad but it was being used by the, their whole crew so i was a little disappointed right? yeah i think so i was a little disappointed in the crash of hmm. slave one okay um because it, it kind of goes out of picture and there's this big explosion. Yeah. Right. Um, and we know Slave One comes back later. Sure. Right. Um, maybe it was it hitting something else and the other thing was exploding. I don't know. Um, but, but I mean, that is Boba's ship that, sure. uh, that he uses to chase the Millennium Falcon. Uh, it's many years later, later, so he would have had time to go and, and salvage what he could from it and maybe restore it. Right. Do we know that Aura actually died in that crash? Was that ever I don't think confirmed? we do. It didn't, didn't confirm that. Didn't yeah. confirm that. Um, I did really like the sound effects of Slave One. And actually, when Slave One, <laughs> when Slave One was chasing R2-D2 off in Mace's ship, and they were just constantly firing... I don't know who had that. Obviously, Boba Fett wasn't. Was he? I don't think he was the one shooting, was he? Boba Fett's a better shot than that. And R2-D2 is not that good of a pilot. I, I mean, thought he I know was. R2-D2 is pretty. Maybe he was. But if so, then that was sort of poorly executed. But it kind of made me laugh because I thought about the way that I play, like the way that I play like a, um, a, a Star Wars flying game. What's the name of that series? Help me out. On Nintendo 64. Rogue Squadron. Rogue, yeah. The way that I play Rogue Squadron is you basically just hold down the shoot button the whole time. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. It was just constant firing. He didn't like wait to line up his shot and take a shot here and there. It was just like choo, 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 <laughs> the whole time. It just made me laugh. Hey, speaking of, uh, not to get us too far sidetracked, but uh, Cliff, are you getting or did you get the, uh, the Pod Racer game for Switch? 
No, I, I saw it. It looks great. Did you see I it? it at some point. Yeah, I want it. Right. I want it. Since just, you were so into the N64 one. Was just I cool. know. I know. And it's just a remake. It's it's not really yep. anything added to it, I don't think. It's just a straight. It's not really a port. It's not even a remake. It's like a remaster of it. And and it looks good. I, I'm a, I plan on replaying it at some point, but um, I haven't looked at it yet. John and my all my video games are pretty much not hooked up right now because we just moved. And uh, my queue, I've yeah. talked to Drew about this. My video game queue is almost 100 games long. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know if I want to try to jump in on that at this point. I've kind of got too much to play already. But I saw it and I will jump in someday, probably, hopefully. Actually, one of the others that I've been eyeing, this is very sidetracked, but Star Wars Racer Revenge is a game I've never played. Sequel that hmm. was on PlayStation 2. And they ported that to PlayStation 4. And so I've I did a few times when it's gone on sound. I'm like, oh, I should just pick that up and try it. So, but I've heard it doesn't hold up as well as the first one. So uh, back to the actual <laughs> show. Um, R2D2. John, I want to know your take on R2's combat in this series. I'd like to hear from both of you be on it, but particularly because, John, you mentioned you kind of were criticizing R2's combat role previously. And so I want to know what you thought about it in this episode. So I was uh, I was more okay with some of this because it was like it was more like silly droid. Right. He's pushing crates to a to a ledge and they fall off and uh, freak the people out. And uh and then at one point when the, uh, oh, what were they? Um, were they, were they Gundars? Yeah. What's yeah, that? Gundars. Uh, he kind of spewed oil at him, you know? Right. And didn't, didn't light it on fire like a tactical move. It was just like a, uh, you know, more, more non-combat droid-like. Um, and he didn't really, uh, fight them when he was in the Jedi ship. He was just, getting out of there you know he was just running um could have could have almost heard him like screaming the whole time that little r2 scream right. uh, <laughs> it, you know <laughs> so uh, so i was okay i was pretty okay with what i saw in this okay. arc uh it it was it was uh believable to me um and, and in character for that type of droid for me I thought it was appropriately humorous. I really did. Just like John said, the way he was dropping things on him, closing doors, taking the bomb off of the um, the clone, dropping it down. I thought it was really funny. I was I had a hard time not laughing at it. Just I was having fun with that part of the episode. That was that was actually that might have been the highlight of for me for that episode. I just really had a good time. I just snickering at it. Um, it, it was humorous though. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting to see, and with regards to the humor, I, I sort of alluded to it when I was going through the episode summary, but maybe think of Home Alone a lot. I mean, it wasn't that similar, but just just sort of using whatever he had in his environment to set traps. Well, it wasn't even really setting traps, but to, to basically put obstacles in the way of these people who were just trying to come inside and get to this room. Gave me some Home Alone vibes uh, as I was watching it. But but yeah, as far as the R2-D2 combat, John, I was feeling you what you were saying, that it's kind of ridiculous that R2, is, R2 functions like a combat droid, even though he's just an astromech droid. 
But this episode really made me appreciate that overall, I think, even, even when I've seen it. And I thought about in the last arc where he was shocking all those spiders, the droid spiders. It wasn't like somebody trained him to say, okay, you need to use your shock lasers to attack. I don't think that's what, it, what it, I don't think they, he had a built shock laser, like a shock laser built into himself. I think he was just using his own energy and saying, what can I do in order to deal with this situation where I've got all these other droid spiders, the little ones, you know? And I think he's just thinking, hey, hey I can overload their circuits by, by putting an electric pulse out and, and hitting them with it. So I, it made me think back on that and think, well, maybe he was just being improv- improvisational there as well, that he's not trained for combat. But he never gets his memory wiped, and Anakin, he's influenced by Anakin, and Anakin is very much a non-conventional Jedi, and so R2-D2 over time has just learned to be non-conventional from Anakin. And that's what I think we're supposed to, maybe not supposed to, but that's definitely what I was thinking about when I watched it. And and I'll tell you, I'm I'm getting more okay because of Clone Wars with R2-D2 doing that type of thing. Uh, And and, uh, largely because of the dialogue uh, that that Mace has where he's like, it, it, you, you're trusting this droid and, and Anakin knows he's special. He's like, yeah, but this isn't just any droid, you know, right. He's not yeah, going to let sure. me down. And so, uh, and then, and then in episodes weeks ago where, uh, uh where Anakin was getting fussed on for not wiping his memory. Um, and, and it's because Anakin knows he's not your typical astromech. Um, and so, uh, so because of those things, I'm, I'm more okay. Uh, it's not typical for one of these droids to fight off um, whatever it is. Uh, to fight at all. And, right. Um, but because of the experience that, that R2 has had and, and the things he's learned um, from the experience, um, he's, he's to the point where he can do that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Mace Windu, and that interaction makes Windu obviously somebody just tried to kill him and they crashed the whole ship. So he has reason to be ticked, but he was very impatient <laughs> at the beginning. He's not a warm Jedi, at least not toward Anakin. I feel like maybe in, in some of the prequels, Mace is a little bit more chill, but, uh, but in this episode, he was not. <laughs> Uh, he was not having it. Just didn't want to mess around. Like, what are you doing? He's an astromech droid. Quit that. Just very annoyed at Anakin the whole time, it seemed like to me. So I think he's got his reservations about Anakin. And it may be because Anakin is such an unconventional, loose cannon. And Mace is maybe much more procedural. You know, master. he's the master of the order um, before the Clone Wars start. So he might be a little bit more like, we need to do things by the book. We need to uh, we need to do things a certain way. And so him and Anakin didn't seem like they were getting along very well to me. See, and I, I kind of have a different thought about Mace than that. I, I kind of look at him differently that he's, he's not that procedural, but he can put that face on when he needs to. Um, you know, Mace has a, uh, has a purple lightsaber. Um, and if you look into like some of the meanings of the lightsabers, uh, purple is between blue and red it's a mixture of blue and red we know blue is typically jedis and red is typically your siths um and and that has some meaning um uh, to to like uh, I, I think what i was reading was like 
moral uncertainty that he's got. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, that Mace is, is, is not probably as upright as he tries to put on. Yeah. I see him a little bit more like Anakin or maybe he sees some of those more, um, loose. He, you know, plays a little loose with some of the rules like Anakin does. And he, he likes that or he wants to, but maybe he also fights it at the same time. Because I think back to episode three, when he tells Anakin, he's like, you know, right at the Palpatine scene, he's like, destroy him. You know, I know this is not the, the right way to do it, but get it done. You know, this is, this is what needs to be done, even though it's not what our rules say how we should do it. And so I think he likes to play a little bit more loose, but he's also more direct. Um, you know, Obi-Wan, I think, maybe coddles Anakin a little bit. And Mace is, if it's nonsense to him, he's not going to beat around the bush. He's just going to tell you straight up, that's dumb. Stop that. So, Okay. I see that. Uh, I appreciate your pointing out the purple lightsaber thing, John. But do you know the reason, the actual reason why Mace Windu has a purple lightsaber? Is this another joke? I, it's, no, it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a joke. <laughs> Would have been a good setup. Do you know why he does though? Like there's a real reason. No. It's because Samuel L. Jackson said to George Lucas, I really want a purple lightsaber. And George Lucas said, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yes and no. But there, there is significance to lightsaber. No, that's true. That's, that happened. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, retro. I which, think that's probably a retcon in. So. Which again, not not to go too far off. Uh, you know, there was significance to the yellow lightsaber uh, at the end of the most recent movie. Yeah, sure. Ray had, um, because that has a specific meaning. Um, my only thing is, like, if you if you know some guy's got a purple lightsaber, and you know it's like halfway red, halfway blue. Mm. Uh, or shouldn't you be a little more like cautious about this guy running around? Master of the order, a. <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, did you see his lightsaber? <laughs> uh, like, why? Why did he do that? Why would he?" Do that? <laughs> I wonder, are there purple kyber crystals, or did he actually take a red and a blue and be like, <laughs> "So there's there's actually something behind the color," uh, and and this is another study for another time. Uh, but but the color of the lightsaber being determined by the person um, and their characteristics. Okay, cool. So a couple things I wanted to draw attention to in that in that last episode. One, the appearance of Hondo, I think, is something we ought to talk about because Hondo played an interesting role in this episode, a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. In the past, he has been responsible for. Uh, enslavement and murder and uh, extortion of innocent farmers. And for some reason, y'all think that he's neutral because of this. However, in this episode, he really did play a much more neutral role, right? Um, did not show any loyalty, even though he had some history with Aura. Realized that, hey, this is something I need to not get in the middle of. And, and so I, I just thought, I thought his the use of him was interesting. I expected him to get, get in on the fight to play a significant role, but it was really more like he showed up and then he just stayed out of it. He didn't really do anything this whole episode. 
So what did y'all think about Hondo's appearance here? I thought it kept in line perfectly with what uh-huh. Hondo stands yeah, for. Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Okay, well, hold on. <laughs> Let me defend myself. Hondo is loyal. I will, you, you said he's not. Hondo is loyal to Hondo. Okay. And Fair. so whatever in his going to be in his best interest. Um, right. And again, I'm not saying I like who he is as a person per se, but I, I enjoy his character a lot. Um, right. And so, you know, he's already had one, multiple now, uh, interactions with the Jedi. And everyone, he has lost or fled. So he, he's not in the mood to try and lose another battle or yeah, okay. to get I into get another scuffle, especially with the people who could have killed him but have already forgiven him once. So right. um, it's, it's not in his interest to draw more attention from the Jedi to him. So him saying... I'm telling you this information to let you know I'm not involved in this. This just happens to be on my planet or my, you know, my town or whatever. So I, I, I thought it was in line with his stance of I'm loyal to myself and what's going to be good for business for me. Yeah. And it, so I think last time we talked in depth about Ondo, Drew, you, you kind of uh, made the analogy that he's the, uh, like the Jack Sparrow of, uh, of Star Wars. And and at the time, I was like, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. But I could totally see Jack Sparrow here being like, you're walking into a trap. And it's like, why are you <laughs> yes, telling <okay>. us? <laughs> and you're like, why are you telling us this? I just want you to know I've got nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, it was a good uh, moment. I really did like that. And I, so I think is the reason for his appearance because he really didn't do anything other than just stay out of it. But I think that was the point. I think they're trying to shift. I think they established him a little bit more evil than they want him to be going forward. And so they're trying to establish him now as much more as a much more neutral character uh, so that they can use him going forward in a way that is much more neutral and maybe even good leaning, if that makes sense. And I especially thought that about the last scene. Now the last scene could, I think you could take it two ways in this episode where uh, what was it? Boba, Boba Fett is, he's got a gun to the back of the head of, who is it? Is it Plo Koon that Boba Fett has held up there? Yeah, Plo Koon. So he's got a gun to the back of Plo Koon's head. Am I thinking about this right? Am I remembering this right? Yeah. I know he does at some point. Anyway, it's the point where Hondo basically says, hey, dude, you need to do what's honorable. It's not honorable to kill this way. And, and as soon as he said, I was like, you are a freaking hypocrite. So one of two things is happening. Either the writers <laughs> is not honorable at all, ever. We've never seen to be honorable about anything. Um, one of two things is happening here. I think either they are trying to make him look like a good guy, which in my opinion, they've done sort of cheaply here, or he's just saying, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to portray myself a certain way in front of this particular audience and get them to have an impression about me that I may be able to leverage to my benefit later on. So that's what I'd like to think they're doing, but I actually think they're probably just trying to establish him as a more neutral character, which to me is a little bit disappointing in that way to do it that way. I think was cheap. I don't mind him making it more neutral. I think to do it in this, in that way where he tries to tell Boba Fett to be honorable was, was just kind of cheap. Did you have any opinion on that? take on that did you notice that yeah i thought about it as well but but not only that i mean he is he did know Django, 
and, and he's basically okay. telling him, "Hey, this this is what Django would have done. He he wouldn't have killed this way." Okay. Um, and so from that standpoint, uh, maybe he knows he's not honorable, uh, and he's not saying I wouldn't do it. He's saying, "Look, your dad wouldn't have done this." That's a great take. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like that. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. What y'all think about the force listening? Is that a power we've seen anybody else ever use? Where Ahsoka's in the bar and she like quiets down and just listens to everybody? Have we seen that before in any of the movies or any of the Clone War episodes? Did she learn that from the, the elder Jedi in that last episode? Wasn't he sort of doing that same thing? The forgotten library Jedi? Yeah. Right. Didn't he sort of have her... Because he was always teaching her to slow down and calm down. And actually, <laughs> we didn't like that episode, but... It, I thought that maybe there was a connection between that episode and what she, what she sort of does here where she gets into that bar and she's like, all right, now I got to just listen, I just slow down and listen. And that is such a she, great connection. It really is. Cause I didn't even think of that. I, I probably blocked that episode out of my memory for a reason. So I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> so I like your explanation way better. So well, that's pretty cool power. I don't think it's a Jedi power I've really noticed before where you just get in a room and you can kind of just go through and listen to everybody's conversations that they're having through the force. So kind of neat. Daredevil-esque, right? Isn't that what Daredevil does? He can like hear everybody's conversations for yeah. miles around. Uh, I don't know how the distance, maybe John does, but. I thought that's why yeah, he slept in a coffin because he's like, I, I just can't shut it off. I, I got to sleep yeah, in a coffin so I don't hear it all. A coffin full of water, isn't it, to help drown out the, uh, the, sounds, um, or whatever. the sounds of the city. Um, yeah. Anyway, cool power. It was neat to see how uh, deep they went in Coruscant, because we really don't get to explore the, the depths of the Coruscant. Or at least you, in earlier, like the last time we were in Coruscant uh, with a Mandalore uh, art, mm-hmm. you know, you went deeper in Coruscant, but it didn't really show you the actual descent. And so I thought it was just neat for them to emphasize, oh, you're, it's not just one level underneath we're going, it's way down to the underbelly here of Coruscant, you know, the real rough parts where we have to go. So I got I excited like about vision. that. Yeah, I got excited about that. And it was a cool visual, but, but then I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't see more down there. Mm-hmm. You know, we basically just saw the inside of this bar and it seemed like a pretty tame bar, to be honest. It's just, wasn't that big a deal. I mean, everybody in there was ready to fight, but isn't that every bar in every movie and every media where everybody there, everybody in the bar is ready to just one glass bottle breaks and the whole bar breaks out, you know? So we kind of had that vibe there, but um, we had the, the tailhead dancers, right? And actually I was thinking about tailhead dancers. All right. Hmm. Here's what I think. Tailheads are universally sexy. doesn't matter what race you're a part of doesn't matter if you're a hut or a human or whatever other weird alien, a lemur, doesn't matter. Tailheads are always the dancers in every Star Wars media I can ever remember seeing. And so I'm thinking, like, humans are attracted to women in certain ways, but then, like, the hut might be, like, really into those, those tailheads, you know, because they've got the big slimy tail, so it might be like, oh, that's, that's the part that they really like, so... Um, so anyway, that was my take on that. It just seems like those tailhead dancers are always the dancers. Why would that be? Because they're the one race of alien 
that is universally sexually attractive to every other race. All right. So I, I have base? a different theory. I have a different theory. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't know if right. you're on face. Uh, I think that's all they know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ahsoka's a tailhead. Uh, she's a little different, though, isn't she? Maybe she's like a half tailhead or the, something. The dancers are have like really long tail thing. Yeah, I don't think but she's, she's also younger, range. John. She's younger. I, I seem to remember seeing promotional art where she's where she's a little bit older toward the end of the Clone Wars, where she has long tail, long tail head things that come down. Okay, well maybe that's what makes her so special. Is she? Is a tail head the only tail head who knows how to do something besides dance? Something other than dance. And they're like, wow, she must be, her midichlorians must be off the charts because she doesn't <laughs> just dance. Oh. Well, Ahsoka I, I is I like not theory better. a tail head. Oh, she's tail heads okay. are uh, the Leku species, whereas Ahsoka is Togruta. Okay. All right. All right. That does it. So maybe you're right, all they can do is dance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. That's that's pretty much all I've all I've got. We didn't really talk that much about Boba Fett. Um, maybe we should touch on that. Really, besides, after we got through the first episode, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of attention even given to Boba Fett. And, you know, as I was kind of thinking through how I was going to summarize the episodes, is Boba Fett didn't come up that much as part of the main plot. I guess we see the moral quandaries that he goes through a little bit. Yeah. What y'all think about overall your take on Boba Fett and his portrayal in this this entire arc? I just need to see the background of him him with the dilemma. I really like the moral dilemma piece where he is he's wanting to revenge, but at the same time he's not uh, at the point of being a, a traditional bounty hunter and just kill for the sake of killing and get the money. Uh, he has a purpose, uh, I guess a more intrinsic purpose for wanting to be a bounty hunter, and that is revenge, whereas more the more traditional bounty hunter is extrinsic and I, I want the money. So I like to see that side of it's I'm not just money hungry, but really this is more personal to me. It's not just business. Um, and he struggled with that. And so there was conflict with him, you know, like we talked about in the others, and so I, I enjoyed seeing that, that conflict and, you know, sort of how his mind was working where he could, you could tell he's trying to do what he thinks is the right thing, but it's hard to do that without taking casualties uh, and collateral damage along with it. So just seeing him and his mind work, I was, I enjoyed that. Okay. You know, you mentioned the moral quandary and actually I didn't think about it until now, but you remember at the end of Empire when he's about to get carbon froze, Boba Fett's like, wait a minute. I need him alive. I don't want to take him back alive. Like, I don't know if Jabba would have really cared that much if he were dead or alive. And Jabba's kind of happy he's frozen in carbonite and is content to leave him there. But Boba Fett doesn't want to freeze haunting carbonite because he's worried that, that it will kill him. You think that's a moral quandary or do you think he just really needed to deliver him alive? I've always thought it's just like, hey, there's there's an, a, a price for him to be returned alive. Okay. Um, that's probably true. Yeah. That's the way I would lean. Um, Cause I don't know. I'm guessing that at some point it does become less personal um, reason for being a bounty hunter and more traditional of 
more money uh, as the, the desire, you know, once we get to empire, as opposed to right now, it's, it's a very specific reason for wanting to act as a bounty hunter. Yeah. yeah and and I, I think Boba Fett, he gets a reputation for being ruthless because uh, we know when, when Vader uh, talks to him, um, I, I believe it's in empire. He points directly at him and says, no disintegrations. Uh, yeah, um, right. and so, and, and then, which also makes me think, okay, Hey, that's, uh, that's Anakin telling him that, um, he would have known Anakin was involved oh, in this. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, I hope we see more interaction between them. Yeah. Um, uh, because there's, there's obviously history there and then he's the one that, that Vader chooses, Anakin chooses to, uh, really help him get solo, draw Luke out, capture Leia. Um, yeah. I, that's, that is awesome, John. I, yeah. it, it's Boba that nearly killed him in this episode. So, huh. And I, I always forget to make the connection between Anakin and Vader. It's like they seem like such different characters to me, but no, it's Darth Vader. When you interact with Anakin, you're interacting with the guy who becomes Darth Vader. So, so that I, I didn't, didn't even think about the fact that this is giving us some insight into the history that Anakin and Boba have together. That's pretty cool. All right, let's rank it. Everybody ready? I forget whose turn it is to start. I'm really not keeping track. Drew, why don't you just go? Okay. Rank uh, this episode. This episode gonna, arc. Series this episode arc. arc. I'm going to give it a five. Um, I could okay. take it or leave it. I uh, gave good background on Boba Fett, I thought. Um, R2-D2, the little fight scene I thought was enjoyable to watch. Um, I, I, I actually went up after hearing, speaking with you all here, just about your take on it and some things that I didn't even think about, how some of those tie-ins that you mentioned, John. So I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it, but I didn't think that it really added a great deal to the canon uh, as a whole. Right. John? So I'm, I'm like a seven. I think I picked seven a lot, uh, but I'm a seven here um, because I've, I've always wondered, hey, after, after Boba watched Django die, what happened? Um, did, and, you know, I've always wondered, did Dooku get him? And, but no, it's, uh, you know, bounty hunters kind of took him in. Um, and then being able to see Slave One and, uh, and really Bosk, because I like seeing characters from the uh, from the original trilogy come up, um, and so I'm I'm at a seven. I am right there with you at a seven. I really liked all of the callouts and um, and the background overall. Even though I think they could have done more with it, I thought was was what they did was done well. I uh, really liked the the portrayal of R two D two and yeah, most most of it I just really enjoyed. Haunt, the the Hondo stuff I wasn't a huge fan of at the end, but after talking to y'all, uh, that may have bumped it down to a six. But after getting some what I think are reasonable explanations for the way the reasons why Hondo behaved, why he did in that episode, you know, I don't know where they're going to take it or if I'll feel like it's justified later on when I learn more about Hondo. But as of right now, I think there's enough of a headcanon to justify it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my seven, and uh, you know, I think it's pretty good. I definitely enjoyed it. All right, 
for next week, we are going to watch, we're going to attempt to watch four episodes. Okay. We may end up only discussing two of them, depending on whether or not we get them all watched. So just keep that in mind, listeners. But the first of the arcs is corruption on Mandalore. By the way, we're getting into season three here. Um, everything that we're going to watch this week is from season three. Corruption on Mandalore, episodes 305 and 306. There's a one episode arc called Assassin, and then a one episode arc. It's actually the end of a trilogy of episodes that surround the Domino Squad. It's called Arc Troopers. So this is the Domino Squad part three. We'll learn, I guess. I think this is the last part. Maybe maybe we'll kill off the whoever's left. There's not many of the Domino Squad left, right? It's just two or three of them that are left, I think. So I need to go and, and try to remember who all they are and what their history is probably, but maybe we'll get enough of a reminder in this episode. Um, as Admiral Ularin gives us a little <laughs> intro summary uh, to, to figure out, you know, where we stand with all these guys. Thanks guys for coming. And if you want to email us, you can reach us at starwarsbrotherspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, five stars is preferred, but you know, just whatever. Give us a review so we don't feel, you know, feel bad about being a reviewless podcast. Now we all think we care a little bit, or I guess I would be saying it. I probably care more than these other two. I think these two, these two guys are just in it for the conversation, which is really the main reason I'm here too. But, you know, it'd be cool to get an iTunes review, right? So it was cool to get an email the other week. It's all on email, but it's kind of special. So, uh, so yeah, do that. And thanks for listening. Humans are attracted to women in certain ways, but tailheads are universally sexy. And with that statement right there, we just lost whatever listener we had.